Well, welcome to Worship at Emmanuel Anglican Church this morning, and welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. Now, if all you know of Advent is that kids sometimes get Advent calendars to count down the remaining days until Christmas, you might have come to church this morning expecting to hear about Jesus as a tiny infant surrounded by sheep and cows. (laughs) And if so, it might be a little disconcerting to encounter instead a big, powerful, glorious Jesus descending from heaven on a cloud while the distressed people of the nations are fainting to the ground in fear all around. Why does the church begin Advent with the Day of Judgment? For most of the church year, the church calendar follows the life of Jesus from his birth, through his life, through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension into heaven. And Advent is the Christian New Year when we start that story at the beginning again. So by the time Advent hits, in late November though, We're rounding the last corner of the calendar year. We've made it past Thanksgiving. Most of us are more than ready for some creamy eggnog and twinkle lights and holiday music. Frankly, some of us may have started some of that right after we finished our Halloween candy. We feel ready for a little baby Jesus, sweet and tender lying in the hay, all tiny, and domestic and cozy. But instead, Mother Church swings us around to face Jesus on the day of judgment, the end times, the last days, when Jesus comes in glory to judge the living and the dead. We are led to contemplate Jesus bigger than life, powerful and holy. The church begins the story of Jesus by focusing on who he is at the end of time. We begin at the end. And I think there's wisdom there. If we began the annual telling of the story of Jesus with him as a tiny baby lying in a manger, we might be tempted to stop there. It would be nice to start and stop theologically with a God who comes as a baby under a star of blessing to bring peace on the earth, goodwill to mankind. Very soothing. (laughs) Easy to slip under the Christmas tree. And it's very appealing to leave our contemplation of Jesus in its infancy. To return to the stable over and over, warmed by the breath of the sheep and the oxen whenever we need comfort. By contrast, it's not so nice to move on to contemplate Jesus as the judge of the world. Some of us were raised in a time when the church of God was really rather obsessed in an unhealthy way with the drama and sensation of end-time prophecies. And as a result, some of us might even have some spiritual scarring. The image of Jesus as judge can trigger a great deal of confusing guilt and anxiety that we don't know what to do with. Others of us learn to associate all teachings of the end times with low-quality, high-profit book and movie franchises 
that went with that obsession. We might be embarrassed by talk of the day of judgment and feel like the picture of Jesus as judge should have been left in the Middle Ages somewhere. But to leave the story of Jesus in his infancy is like telling the origin story of a superhero without talking about he or she went on to save the planet. That backstory might be fascinating, it might illuminate the psychology of the hero, but if the hero doesn't go on to enact his or her heroic deed, the planet is still doomed. If the hero doesn't go on to do something, the archvillain will go unchecked, the asteroid will knock the Earth out of its orbit, the corruption of Gotham will spread over the globe. And our planet is in trouble. In real life, our planet is in trouble. Every world religion has had to grapple with this fact. Most every human being, religious or otherwise, has encountered evil in themselves or in others and felt the urgency of unmet cries for justice and for peace. I don't think we need to read past the headline news on any given day to be troubled by suffering, strife, and an aching void of justice. When God incarnate entered human history as a human baby, it was a cause of great rejoicing because it was the advent of a great hope for deliverance. It is right and good to welcome tender baby Jesus with great joy. And guess what? The joy with which we can welcome Jesus as a baby is nothing compared to the joy with which we can welcome Jesus when he comes again as judge to complete the good work that he began on earth, to save the world from sin utterly, and to set up his pure and peaceful everlasting kingdom. It is my hope, Emmanuel, that as we mature as believers, we will take that deposit of true comfort that we have in this Christmas story and add it to the greater, fuller, deeper hope and joy of meeting Jesus on the day of judgment. Is that a tall order? Might sound like a tall order, but let's see. Let's dive into today's gospel text and see what to look for on the day of judgment. Beginning in verse 25, there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting in fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. According to the story God tells in scripture, when the day of judgment comes close, the heavens and the earth and the skies and the seas will all know it. We've talked before about how the natural world is tied to the moral fate of human beings. When God's enemy, Satan, approached our ancestors, Adam and Eve, with a foolish and wicked proposal, they cooperated with him, and evil entered the world. One of the very first casualties of their sin was that the ground was cursed. When humanity turned its back on God, we introduced all sorts of ills into creation. 
and we continue to create more problems for the earth than we're able to fix. Ever since those days, the Bible tells us the whole earth has been groaning in longing for a redeemer. Creation itself is waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's no wonder that when Jesus, the living incarnation of the creator, starts drawing near to judge and to finally redeem the earth, to finish his redemptive work, the creative order responds. The heavens will shake, the seas and the waves will roar. Other scriptures tell us there will be famine and earthquake. The whole earth will kind of convulse when her creator comes to end her bondage. It's a glad day and a fearsome one. The forces of nature can be pretty terrifying to us human beings now in certain circumstances, but when those natural forces become supernaturally charged at the advent, the coming of the creator, it will be alarming indeed. And Jesus describes this alarm plainly. On the last day, we will see among the peoples of the earth distress, perplexity, fear, and foreboding. This word for distress can refer literally to being chained. Psychologically, it's the anguished feeling of being trapped in torment. People will be overcome with helplessness, brought on, Jesus says, by fear and foreboding. What is it that they fear? It's not merely that people are frightened by all the freaky stuff happening in the skies and seas. There will come upon the nations an undeniable and unwelcome awareness of their guilt and their sin. Since the time of Jesus, God has been inviting all of humankind into the grace of repentance. He calls us now to turn away from sin and turn toward our Savior and Redeemer. When the Apostle Peter, who heard Jesus say these words in today's Gospel reading, when he wrote about Jesus' promise to return and to finally deliver the world fully from sin, he said, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. This 2,000-year wait is not slow. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. And he offered these words of patience and longing of the Lord for people to turn to him in the context of this. He went on immediately to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Those early disciples were eager for Jesus to return in judgment, not because they looked forward to fear and punishment of the nations, but because they longed for the final end to sin, oppression, and injustice that only Jesus can bring. Jesus continues even to this day to delay his return, extending patience and hope that more and more people would turn toward the love of the Father. 
It is not God's desire that any should perish. But as long as Jesus tarries, waiting for people to turn away from sin and toward him of their own free will, sin and injustice continue to infect all we experience. A delay in judgment is a delay in justice. The requirements of justice cannot be postponed forever. The justice we long for and the judgment we fear will arrive on the same day. If we want justice, if we want an end, a final end to lies and betrayal and rape and murder and racism and corruption and malice and abuse and manipulation, we need the judgment of the Lord. I know it's difficult to submit ourselves to God's judgment, to face what this might mean. There are all kinds of obstacles to it. On the one hand, we might have, I have, a hard time accepting that we and those we sympathize with deserve the wrath of God for our sins. Have I done anything bad enough to deserve condemnation? Can't my understandable shortcomings be overlooked? It's offensive to think that God wouldn't welcome everyone into his eternal kingdom. On the other hand, at the same time, when I look at specific, huge, and grievous sins of some people, it's offensive to think that God would include them in his coming kingdom of peace and of mercy. How can he just extend forgiveness and mercy to guilty people? The truth is, as a sinful person myself, I am not a qualified or impartial judge in these matters, and neither are you. We are incapable of true and perfect justice. If there is to be any true justice at all in this world, it must come from an impartial judge, a holy and righteous and perfect judge with the authority to both punish and to pardon. Until and unless such a judge arrives to set things right, injustice will thrive. And how do we deal with this? If we say we want justice, we need a perfectly impartial judge. And if we get a perfectly impartial judge with the authority to put a permanent stop to all evil, we know that all of our own sins, even the petty ones, even the ones we wish could be overlooked, have to be faced as well. When we sin, regardless of how big or trivial that injustice is, we are incurring a debt that we can't pay. There must be a reckoning and an accounting for sin, and a just and perfect judge cannot simply overlook it. That debt of sin must be paid, but we have no way of paying it for it other than with our own lives. This is why we are so squirrely about justice, or judgment rather. <laughs> we can't live without it, but we fear we can't live with it either. We need justice, but can we survive the judgment 
that comes with it. The feeling of overwhelm, <laughs> to put it mildly, that we see described here in Scripture in the last day. People fainting from fear is what we think is going to happen if we were to stop and listen to the invitation of the Lord to reckon with our sin. It feels intolerable. It feels unbearable. In the words of the psalmist, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Well, who can stand? Let's take our courage in both hands and look at verses 27 and 28. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. This is the word of God for all who place their trust in his son Jesus, the Redeemer. When the wind is howling and the waves are crashing and the inescapable weight of guilt is crushing people to the earth, that is the moment at which all of those who have hidden their lives in Jesus will straighten their spines, raise their heads, lift their eyes, because redemption is drawing near. Because our judge is also our redeemer, we can look to him in hope and confidence on the last day. Because the judge is also a redeemer, we can stand up straight in relief and joy when he finally and completely removes injustice from the face of the earth forever. Because our judge is also our redeemer, we can lift our heads in joy when we see him riding the clouds and coming to meet us. God is love. God loves you and me and everyone he has created so much that he cannot let injustice go undealt with. There must be a reckoning for sin and evil that ravages the world and tears people apart, but that same God who hates injustice is the God whose character it is always to have mercy. And so, the man that God sent to judge us is the same man God sent to redeem and save us. No human court, no human judge, no human jury can provide the justice we need. Only the judgment of a perfect man can bring perfect justice. And God has provided the man. The title that Jesus uses for himself in verse 27, the Son of Man, is a favorite title for himself. He referred to himself as the Son of Man more than he did with any other title. Sometimes he calls himself a son of man, and that was a common phrase in the day just for a human being. But when he referred to himself as the son of man, he wore that like the title that it is. He is the man, the one true whole human man who lived as a human being was meant to live in faith, in perfect sinlessness, and in perfect fellowship with the Father. This title, the Son of Man, appears just once in the Old Testament, and that's in the seventh chapter in Daniel. 
when the prophet Daniel was given a vision of the last days that terrified and alarmed him. Alarmed him. But smack dab in the middle of the description of the wind and the seas and the terror, he says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel knew that only a God can ride the clouds. Only a God can have dominion over all peoples and nations simultaneously. Only a God can establish an eternal kingdom that will never be destroyed. And so Daniel was amazed to see that in this vision of the future, the one who came down, the God who came down riding on a cloud, looked like it was a human being. How mysterious, unexpected, glorious. The God who is coming in power and authority to judge us is a lowly and vulnerable human being like us. We do not have a judge who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. With his perfect life and his perfect death, Jesus pays for the sins committed. And with his perfect death and his perfect life, he buys back our lives from death. This is the brightest news on the darkest day. Our judge is our Redeemer. In his own body, in his life on earth and his death on the cross and his resurrection and glory, Jesus has reconciled the full measure of justice and poured out a full measure of mercy for all who turn to him. You have a judge who knows and shares your frailty. He himself has known our human weakness. But because he was without sin, because he remained uncorrupted by shame and favoritism, his vision for justice remains brilliantly sharp and clear. There was no one else in heaven or on earth whose judgment we can welcome like we can welcome Jesus. When our lives are united with his, he can tell us the truth about ourselves, the hardest bits that we really need to hear, and he can tell us the truth in a way that not only can we bear the truth, but we will be liberated from by it. When Jesus comes bodily into our lives again, riding in that cloud, he will come speaking the truth 
that will set us free forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Anyone in the world who is willing to submit themselves to God's judgment before their death, before that last day, and turn to Jesus for mercy, they will discover their judge is their redeemer. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the judgment of the Lord is a glorious thing. It is possible to look forward to the day of judgment as the day when your Redeemer comes to finish the work he began as a baby, that work of setting the world right once and forever, the day that we will be united with him, never to be separated again. The essential preparation for that day is to be reconciled to Jesus and by Jesus before that day arrives. If you have questions about that, the church welcomes those questions. If you have active questions this morning, please grab an Emmanuel leader or a prayer minister delighted to talk and unpack what it means to turn away from sin and turn toward the one who loves you so much, he took your condemnation for you on himself. For those who are already in Christ, Jesus tells us in the final words of our passage about the best ways to prepare for that day. Every time that Jesus talks about his return to earth, he says something like he says right here. He commands us to be watchful over our lives. In verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Jesus calls out specific ways of living that are incompatible with looking forward to the redemption of the Lord. We don't escape condemnation by anything but the redemptive work of Jesus. But when he redeems us, we cooperate with him as he saves us. Jesus calls out three specific ways of living that are incompatible with redemption, and then he calls us to an action that prepares our hearts to receive Jesus when he comes with joy. Don't squander the blessing of the life that God gave you in worthless activity. That's dissipation. Don't get drunk. Emmanuel. Wine is a part of celebration in the kingdom of God, but if we get tipsy or buzzed when we celebrate, we're not doing it right. The first Sunday of Advent is the Christian New Year. You can resolve today to never take a drink past your tolerance level again. And Jesus urges us not to get caught up with anything in this world to the degree that it causes us to forget about the priority and the urgency of spiritual realities. As you continue to pray and labor for and long for the justice that Jesus brings, keep your eyes on Jesus. Pray for his coming kingdom. Pray for that reign of love and peace and hope and put yourself in Christ as he works 
bring his kingdom here on earth. Finally, Jesus urges us to stay awake at all times, praying that we may have strength to escape all the things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Unite yourself in prayer with your Redeemer. When Jesus comes, for those who are found in Christ, there is no terror on that last day. When the sky turns dark, and the stars fall, and the waves of the ocean roar, on that day, he will bring forth righteousness like the dawn, and justice like the noonday sun. Hope and confidence in our Redeemer will raise us up, and we will lift our heads to meet Jesus on the day that he sets everything right forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.